Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. I think I need to probably, do I need to turn this on or is it already, we're good. All right. Um, the last time, when I came here the first time and when I presented, uh, I was by myself because it was in the middle of COVID and we sat, I believe it was kind of toward the back here. Uh, there was a chair that they set up and uh, I think it was the first time and thankfully it might have been, I think it might have been the only time I did anything like that. And you, those of you who probably sat through that are, are glad as well. Uh, I think your pastor would have a lot more uh, stories probably than, than we do. Sounds like he had quite an interesting time over there. And, uh, and praise the Lord that God brought you through that safely. Uh, would you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16. We're not going to so much preach this morning, though I will eventually, hopefully, preach because that's really more important than anything that we have to say, than anything we have to say. But the Bible says that that the Apostle Paul, he returned to Antioch, and I'm just going to paraphrase, and, and um, basically they recounted what great things God had done uh, with them and, and through them. And, and this morning I want to just give a little bit of, of, of what we're doing, what we've done, what's going on, kind of an update, and just and maybe take some questions if that's okay. Uh, this morning maybe some folks have some questions trying to understand. And... Uh, God, God has done so much this, the last two years. We arrived in the country of Colombia, South America, in August of 2021. And uh, really, God has just, he's, it, it, he's done so much that for us, there have been times where we've looked at each other and we've said a few things. We've said, the only way that you can explain what's going on is folks are praying for us. That's one thing. Uh, other things we've thought are um, th that... Um, this shouldn't be happening. This is this is not supposed to happen. This is not supposed to happen this quickly. And then there's been times where we've we've thought, you know what, um, we need to live to the hilt to the glory of God because we don't know how long we have. Uh, our pastor's wife passed away of cancer uh, last, what, two years ago, and she was 42 years old. And so we've thought, well, maybe the Lord's allowing some of this is because he, does, you know, we might have a limited time. We don't know. So we need to live to the glory of God with every. Uh, every breath that we have because we don't know how long we have. Maybe those are some morbid thoughts, but that, those are some things that hit us. Is, and, then, and then with having to come back when we had the issue with the visas, uh, we had to come back uh, and take care of that. And my wife ended up doing some more language training as a result. And then we got back to the field and we got excited. And uh, to just give you a little bit of a, of a brief uh, snippet of what's going on, basically we, we got back down to Columbia we were working, we were seeing God do things, we were excited, and we were actually on the verge of, of beginning in a new church plant, and um, my wife began to have trouble. We live at, in the city of Pasto Nariño. Pasto Nariño is a city of about 600, 650,000 people uh, in southwest Colombia, two hours from the border with Ecuador. By the way, do we have anybody who speaks Spanish here? Does anybody speak Spanish? One? Anybody else? Two? Anybody else? Three? Four? It's okay. It's, it's, cuando llegamos al cielo, vamos a hablar español. Entonces, no hay ningún problema, ¿verdad? Puede decir que, mire, yo, yo ya. Okay. We can say we already speak it. So when we get to heaven, we're going to speak Spanish. So all of you who don't know it, one day when you have a glorified body, and that's when I'll be able to speak Spanish, when I have a glorified body, you'll be able to speak God's language. And so anyway, uh, we, we know what language Adam and Eve spoke. It had to have been Spanish. Um, because, uh, anyway, just because. All right, so, so we're grateful that we live in southwest Colombia, two hours from Ecuador. And when we were here before, um, our plan, our thought, and Pastor kind of 
uh, alluded to this without maybe knowing it, but our plan and our thought was that we were going to go to Colombia and we we're going to work in kind of central, uh, central, a little bit north of central Colombia. And at the very last minute, we're in language school, three months away from being able to get to the field and, uh, and finishing up with my language training, and I need to do a lot more. And basically, our plans fell apart. The person we were going to work with, it didn't work out. We weren't going to be able to work with them. We had no way of getting visas. We didn't know what God was doing. And as a result of that, um, we ended up having a missionary pass through the, where the language school was there, a friend that I've known for years and whose, whose uh, father was supported by my grandfather's uh, church, his ministry, and by my father as well. And, and he stopped by, and he's from Guadalajara, Mexico. And he said, uh, he said, don't worry about it. It's no problem. He said, I know somebody who, who can maybe help you with a visa. He was in Colombia working. And he called his friend. And when he called his friend, his friend said, you know, this is really interesting. He said, just two days ago, he said, I got a call from a church in Chicago. There's some people from a city called Pasto Nariño. And they're praying that God would send a missionary to Pasto Nariño. And uh, I don't think this is a coincidence that you're calling me now two days later. And so, anyway, as a result of that, um, for us, it was like getting hit with a bolt of lightning. I mean, we've never had that happen before. Don't want to ever have it happen. But I'd imagine that's about what it, it was like. Uh, because when we had begun our process of praying about missions and heading toward the mission field, um, we had applied to Baptist World Mission, and Mike Willicott, who some of you may know, he's the South American director for the mission board, wrote us and said, you know, I don't normally write missionaries at this point, but um, he said, I saw your application come in that you're interested in going to the Columbia and was just curious where you want to work. Because he said, uh, me and uh, Pastor Sturzbach uh, two years ago began praying that God would send a missionary to Pasto Nariño. And at that point, we didn't want to go there. At that point, we had planned further north. We went through deputation. We came to your church. We had plans, and we were going to work north in North Colombia. One of the reasons is Pasto uh, Nariño, Nariño and the neighboring state and one other state between those three grow two-thirds of all the cocaine that comes out of Colombia. And Colombia grows about 65% of the world's cocaine. And so when we were looking at the country and we were looking at the demographics and we were reading the State Department's list of where not to go to, Nariño was on level four, don't go there. Risk of kidnapping, risk of murder, risk of issues is extremely high. And so as we looked at it, we thought that looks like a really bad place for a missionary to go and start. We need to work in the north. And so those were some thoughts that we had. But by the time we had applied to Baptist World and heard about Pasto, and then at the end of uh, our, our deputation, we're in language school, again, God brings back the exact same city one more time. We couldn't walk away and say God wanted us anywhere else. We knew at that point it doesn't matter what list it's on. It doesn't matter what's, what people say about it. We know that's where God wants us. So I took a trip down to Pasto in, in the beginning, or in, I think it was May of 2021, and right before we flew down as a family. <clears throat> and when I went and I looked at the city, it was right in the midst of all the, the manifestiones, the, 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 the protests. And it was in the midst of the protests there in Colombia, they were, they, were, they were burning buildings, they were breaking windows out, they were, and in just in two days we got stopped seven times by the protesters, held up, uh, and, and it was really quite an interesting time. That was kind of my introduction to Pasto Nariño. So just over the next couple of minutes before I get into Acts chapter 16, I want to tell you what God's done 
You're going to get to see in the next hour some pictures. It's not a great video, but some pictures of the place where we're working and what God's done since then. But we arrived uh, again in, in 2021 to the city of Pasto, and God gave us the name of a, a national pastor, Oscar Cerrone. He's former Colombian uh, police. Uh, he was also with the, with the military in Colombia, uh, retired from uh, serving his country in that way. And in 2015, he moved to the city of Pasto. He grew up near there in a city called San Maniego, right in the heart of drug country. Uh, basically, some of his friends grew up and became narcos, and he grew up and joined the military. And so just two different paths there that, that were taken. And we, we got there to the city, and we began to work with Pastor Sarone, and God began to do amazing, amazing things. Uh, almost right away, we began to get contacts in a city two hours away in the city of Ipialis. And uh, we got to thinking, well, you know, we're missionaries. We're supposed to work in, in Pasto, right? God moved us to Pasto, but, but you know what? If God's given us contacts in Ipialis, maybe God wants us to eventually do something in Ipialis. And so we began to make the two-hour drive to go down to Ipialis a couple times a week, uh, begin to do Bible studies there and with, with the contacts that we had. <clears throat> and Pastor Sroen kind of got interested in what we're doing, and he said, you know what? He said, maybe, maybe it would be um, a good idea for you to contact uh, this Mexican missionary I know. He lives... He lives right over in Ecuador, but he's crossing into Colombia, and he's, he's uh, got a, some kind of church plant he's getting going right next to the city you're going to. So I, I contacted Joel, Joel Cortez. You'll get to see his picture in a little bit. And uh, just was like, hey, brother, you know, Matt Smith, just uh, heard you're working in Colombia, crossing over. And got to remember, this is pandemic. So the, the border was closed. Um, and I know there's different feelings as to that, but... But he was already working, and he couldn't get across. And so he was using the, the trochas that are used for, by the drug cartels. The drug cartels take drugs. And we weren't taking drugs. We weren't doing anything with drugs. He wasn't doing anything with drugs. But they take drugs, and he's bringing the gospel, and he has this group of people that are meeting together. And so he had to, he had to quit using the border and begin to use the drug routes to, to come up in. And he would walk because he doesn't have a car, still doesn't have a car. Pray for him about that. But, uh, but he would walk the hour and a half up, two hours at times, to get up the, the trocha and to get into Colombia and to work with the people he was working with. And so I, I said to him, um, would you mind if I came and just saw your, you know, your group and if, if we could be a blessing, we'd love to. And so he told me the time and the place and, and uh, we drove out. And, and I could remember the very first time that I went to, to meet Joel um, we parked our car uh, at the kind of down on the street down below, and there was kind of a hill, a mountain, and not really a mountain, but a nice good-sized hill. It'll make you, you know, feel it a little bit when you get to the top. And climbed it, and as I'm climbing it, I'm looking at a llama in the face uh, that was there on the hillside. And made up our way up to the house, and there was this elderly lady, Angelina, and she was there, and she had basically given her house for, for him to be able to start a church, church plant. And he was working with the people on the top of that hillside, which is one of the extremely religious areas in Colombia. I don't know how many of you have seen a picture of a church in a ravine in Colombia um, called Las Lajas. Has anybody seen the Las Lajas? You're familiar with Las Lajas. 
And uh, it's one of the wonders of Colombia. People from all over come there. They think that if they can get to that little church and they can make their way down the ravine and they can pray there to the Virgin, that their children or whoever is sick in their family, they'll get healing for them. And so uh, anyway, that was, that was the, down at the bottom of the hill from where he was down in the ravine. And so anyway, man, it, it just, it was a blessing. Uh, it was a blessing to meet him. It was a blessing to be able to, to see what God was doing with him there in Las Lajas. And, uh, but he's, he's Mexican. <laughs> and that's, that's not a slam at all. One of the things I've learned about working with Mexican people is always be ready. Always. Like they tell you when you're learning to be a preacher boy, you have to be ready. Always have a message with you. You better have it if you're going to go. Because the very first time he's like, Are you, um, can you preach? And... <laughs> So anyway, I mean, I had literally, I just met him. Can you preach? And, and so that was my introduction to Joel Cortez. And, man, it, it was wonderful. It was awesome to be able to meet him, see what God was doing with him. And, uh, and so from that week on, we, we didn't miss. From that week on, um, we decided, we talked together, and he, he wanted to know, can you preach every other week? You know, come back every other week and preach. So we just started going every week. It didn't matter if I was preaching or not. I would go, and we'd be there. We'd try to be encouragement to his people. And, uh, and we began to tag team it that way. And so anyway, uh, after a couple months, uh, December of 2021, um, he got kicked out of that house because the, the lady who owned the, the property there, the, the little house, it was a shack really is what it was. Uh, she had the guinea pigs that lived in one room, and that's food. I mean, you don't need cows. You just need guinea pigs. And, uh, and she had the guinea pigs in one room, and, and we always had issues with flies in the service. And, um, but anyway, this, this sweet lady, and she really was, she was, I believe, 89, 89 years old, something like that. She had one grandson that was in Bible college in Mexico studying to be a pastor. And she had another grandson who worked in the temple of Las Lajas. And her grandson who worked in the temple of Las Lajas basically told her, Grandma, you need you need to forbid that, and they call us evangelicals, you need to forgive, uh, forbid those evangelicals to come again because the land that your house is on belongs to the virgin. And so anyway, so Joel called me. He said, I just heard from Angelina, and she said that we can't meet in her house anymore, that she's having problems with her family. And he said, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I, he said, you know, I know God wants me to work over in Colombia, but I don't know what God wants me to do. And right about that time, we were expecting Sarah... Um, and, and my wife was beginning to have difficulty coming over to Ipialis, making that two-hour drive. And so I had a problem because I had Bible studies where sometimes I would be the only guy, and, um, and I, needed, I needed to be able to have Bible studies, but I kept having to cancel because my wife couldn't come with me. And so I said to him, well, you know, I have contacts in Ipialis, you have contacts in Ipialis, and... Um, there's times when I, I need a place, and I, being the only guy, I, I can't go if, if my wife isn't with me. Why don't we pray about working together? And so we began to pray about working together, and, and Joel told me uh, that he would begin to look for a place. Since he lived right across the, the Trocha from Ipialis, he could get there quicker than I could a lot of times. And so he began to look for a place, and in January of 2022, we rented a storefront in Ipialis, and the Strong Tower Baptist Church was begun the 23rd of January, uh, 2021, or 2022. And I know it's not been long, but God's done amazing, amazing things in Strong Tower Baptist Church. Again, because it's a partnership, 
Um, we go uh, and have been going, and other than when we had to be back here, uh, normally Thursdays and Sundays, sometimes Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. But Thursdays and Sundays to, to be there, I'll preach normally uh, the Thursday nights, and then he'll preach the Sunday. And it's just Sunday night because he's got a church in Ecuador he preaches on Sunday morning. And um, am I giving you too much information? Is everybody okay? I'm sorry, I'm just throwing all these names out. But, but um, I was just there about three and a half weeks ago. We had 130 people uh, at the church there. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, they weren't all ours because we, we had a group. He had a group from Mexico who had come visit him. So we had 110, okay, because he had a group of 20 people. And so, um, but there was, there was 110 people, people from off the street, people that were drunk in the service, people that I'm sure were high on drugs, that were in the service, the Bible says go out and compel them that they come in. And that's not the people that you necessarily, you don't necessarily hope for that in the service. But there were some people that night that heard the gospel for the very first time. Uh, we've seen people saved. Normally it's about 45, 50 people that come to the service. There's been people that have gotten saved. Hannah and I, uh, early on, I think it was the first or second week, I forget, but we had gone uh, door knocking out in front of the church there. And we didn't even have a sign up for the church. We had the building rented. We had the chairs. We had a whole lot of vision, uh, a whole little sense, or not much sense. And, uh, but anyway, we, we had the building and we had the place to meet. We had people that we had contacts with who were coming. And so we were knocking on doors, inviting people, and, and knocked on the door right across the street. And the way it works there in, in our area of Colombia is we have a lot of Venezuelan migrants. And so they, they come into Colombia. They wander around. They find a place, hopefully they can stay, and eventually maybe they'll stay, maybe they'll move on. And so in Ipialis, being a border town, there's a whole lot of people from Venezuela that have moved in there. And we knocked on the door, and a Venezuelan lady answered the door, an elderly lady. I'd say she's probably 50. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> anyway, we had this really nice lady answer the door. <laughs> oh, you get yourself in trouble around here. <laughs> She answered the door, Sumeri is her name, and, uh, and we invited her to the service, and, and she said, well, I'll, I'll try to come, and she showed up, and about 15, 20 minutes later, she showed up at the church there, and she sat through the service, didn't say anything, and on the way out the door, handed me a little piece of paper, and she had written out a verse on a piece of paper. She had made a little bookmark, and she gave it to me, and she said, uh, she said I really, really enjoyed the service, and she said, I just want to let you know, um, for the last four years, I've been attending a Baptist church in Venezuela. And she said about 10, 10 days ago, I, I got here from Venezuela. I just moved in. And she said, I'm going to be back. And can you believe that of all the places in Ipialis, a, a town of 140,000 people, of all the places in all the city that we decided to rent, we rented the building right in front of where God had had this lady move in. And uh, the next service, she was there. She was there with her daughter, with her son-in-law, with her grandchildren, uh, and with actually a great grandbaby was born like a month later, two months later, two months later, month and a half, and 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 God just has used that family in in a mighty way. Um, Dennis, her son-in-law, and his wife. Uh, this is the testimony they gave just a couple months ago. They said, "Man, when we got when we got to your church, he said we were a wreck. He said our home was a wreck, our family was a wreck. We were saved, but we were a mess." And he said, our home is a different place now. 
God has done so much uh, in Dennis's life. He's been leading the singing there in the church in Ipialis, uh, and he's done a, an incredible job. His, his son um, will stand there, and because he sees his dad lead the singing, he's th two years old, two and a half, something like two and a half, and he'll, he'll be there in, in the aisle, and he's, he's got, before the service, he'll grab the microphone. It's not even on, but he's there with the microphone, and he's got his hand going like this, and he's singing uh, Power in the Blood and other songs, and he just loves church and loves the songs. And we went to his, went to his family's house um, Boy, let's see, this would be this summer. I was at his family's house. They invited us over. We were supposed to come over and eat, and I was there. My sister, by the way, Joanna, Lord willing, at the board meeting is planning on a, uh, she's applying, and we'll see if, if, if they let her in or not But uh, at Baptist World. But she, her desire is to come to Columbia and to help. She was with us this summer. And so Joanna and I had gone over and uh, were there in the house, Mrs. Sumeri, and, and Suri, the daughter-in-law, was there, and and off next to the table was this kind of little tiny cabinet. It's an idol cabinet. And what they'll do down there is they'll have like this little wooden thing and they'll put the Virgin Mary on it. And you'll see those in houses. And they're like, yeah, we found that in the trash out on the street. And so we brought it home so he could play with it. And you know what he had done with that little tiny shelf thing? He would set it up and he had put it next to the table and that was his pulpit. And he had his pulpit and he's there practicing on leading his singing just like he sees his dad too. And you know, God, God's been, done some amazing things. Silvio, Silvio was invited to the service. We had had a group from Pasto come over. Pastor Cerrone's been a huge blessing. Pastor Cerrone had come over and brought some people and they had gone out door knocking before the service. We found that's a good time to do evangelism. And he had, he had gone around back on one of the streets behind the church there and had knocked on a door and met a man named Silvio. Silvio's job is picking up trash. That, that's how he's made a living. And he'll collect trash on the side of the road, and he'll sell, you know, what he can. And, and so anyway, but Pastor Sharon was sitting there. I got there after we had knocked on some doors and got to the church there, and Pastor Sharon's sitting next to this guy, Silvio. And uh, they're talking. They talked all the way up till the service. Had the service, and after the service, they talked some more. And before the night was over, Pastor Sharon led Silvio to Christ. And that would have been in probably February of 2022. Silvio has only missed maybe three services since. Silvio's there Sunday night. He's there Thursday night. If there's any special services, missions, conference, or any others, he's there. And he's there faithful. Silvio was baptized earlier this year. Uh, he's followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Uh, Silvio it, literally has lived picking up trash off the street. And now he comes to church with a dress shirt and a tie, a little sweater normally he'll have on or a jacket. But Silvio's life has changed dramatically. And he's, I, some things I can't necessarily share, but some things that he shared with me, Silvio is definitely saved. His life has changed. God's done an amazing thing with him. And that brings me to Acts chapter 16, because we could go on and we could go on. What we've found is we're involved in simultaneous church planning. How many of you have heard of simultaneous church planning? Has anybody heard of simultaneous? Okay, good, nobody. I hadn't either. I didn't know the term until we got forced to come back because of the visas and we ended up back in language school. And the president of the language school where we were at there in Texas began to tell the story of his dad who was a missionary in Bolivia and what his dad did. And then he began to tell his own testimony and as I listened to him, I thought, that's what we're doing. 
And we're just doing it because the doors God's open, but that's what we're doing. And basically what his father did is he went to Bolivia and he began to work and in just a few years was able to plant 20-something churches. And it's not because he's the Apostle Paul. It's God did the work. God opened the door. People got saved. But basically the idea is a lot what historically happened in our country where you would have a circuit-riding preacher. And what's a circuit-riding preacher do? Well, there might be four or five or six or eight churches and the circuit-riding preacher would go out on his horse and he would travel through the woods or wherever and he would, he would go to one town and he'd preach. He'd stay there the weekend and he'd preach the weekend. And then from there he'd get on his horse and he'd maybe travel another 30 or 40 miles and he'd go to another town and there was another church and he would preach at that church. And it might take him a month and a half to get back around or two months to get back around, but every time the preacher came around, they would have church. And that's what happened in our country. That's how a lot of churches... Uh, were started. That's how a lot of churches grew. And then as, as that would happen, then he would begin to train people. People would, in the church maybe would grow up and they'd become a pastor and they'd become the pastor of the church. So that's what's happened. That is what happened in our country early on. And, and that's what we found ourselves kind of thrust in in Colombia. We live in one city. We, we're involved in the church there. We're involved in the ministries there. We travel to another one and, and we've been able to, to help and, and work and, and preach and see uh, with God's help and with, with co-workers, a church started there. And then now in San Juan, we've been able to see another church started. And I might share a little bit more about that tonight. But in just a matter of uh, two years, there's two new churches. And they have a long way to go. There's a lot of growth that needs to happen. But it's simultaneous church planning. And it's, we right now, if we, if we had the energy, if we were there, that would help. If we were there and we, and we had the energy and the time, right now we could start three more churches. We know of contacts in the city of Nariño. There's four families that are saved that are driving an hour to get to church in Pasto. They need a church. They want a church. And so that was going to be our next church plant. We were going to begin to hold services with them. We've already held a preliminary one. We've already prayed, asked God to bless. Um, so we could start a church with them right now. We already have four core families, what many missionaries work years and years and years to try to get to. We already have four core families there. There's another town where we only know of them because they're connected with people in the church in Pasto, but they don't have a church, they don't have a pastor, but basically there's some people that are saved that are in, the, in that town that have begun to get together every week and pray. And there's, there's doctrinal issues, there's areas they need to grow in, but... My thought is if you're already getting together to pray every week, man, we're, we're, we're a step ahead. You know, we can begin to get together and teach the Bible and preach, and, and the church could be started there. There's another town, Tucaris, and, and it blows my mind that we have contacts as far away as Canada that have family that live in that city. They're saved. They go to a, a good Baptist church in Canada, and, and, and they, they've got family that live in Tucaris, and they want to see them get saved. And we got contacts in Ecuador that have family in Tucaris, and we have, our pastor Cerrone has family that live in Tucaris, and, and Juancho has family that live in Tucaris, and we could start a church there. Pastor Joel, when I was there just a couple weeks ago, told me, he said, yeah, he said, I had somebody offer me a piece of property in Tucaris if we could go there and start a church. I mean, right now, three more churches could get started. And so just pray, pray for us, and you'll get to see some of the pictures, and I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff out, forgive me. But um, we're involved in simultaneous church planning. We're trying to just take the doors that God opens and work and do what God calls us to do.
And, and as I read the book of Acts and I see what God did with the life of Paul, and I begin to think about Paul, and I see kind of the time frame of, the, of what he did. I'm, I'm just amazed because Paul, in just a matter of somewhere on 13, 14, I don't know, it's hard to exactly gauge, but somewhere around 13 years of, of actual missionary service started somewhere around 13 churches. Um, you take away his journey to journeys to Jerusalem, you take away his imprisonments, you take away his travels, you, you get somewhere around 13 years. You know, his first missionary journey was around a year, maybe a little bit more than a year. You know, you read it and you think this was like five or six years. But it was about a year, his first missionary journey. And, and you, you begin to look at, at what God did and you're just amazed. As we get to the book of Acts in chapter 16, verse 6 and following... We're seeing the fact that Paul, we look at him as a missionary, we think he knew everything, and I only have a couple more minutes. We think he, he, he had it all laid out and planned out. We realize that, you know, no, Paul did. And God just, simply, God just simply led him and guided him, and he was obedient, and he took the opportunities that God led him to. Uh, and, and there were times when he didn't know what to do, but he, God showed him. It says in verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia... It says, after they were come to Mysia, they said to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Can I just stop there for a minute this morning and just say this? Uh, listen, uh, the Apostle Paul here and his missionary team, and that's really what it was, is it was, it was not just one man. It was a missionary team that was at work, uh, and, and there were churches that prayed for him. There were people that prayed for him, and God answered their prayers. We find that later in the, in, in the New Testament. Um, the Apostle Paul had a desire to preach the gospel in one place, but the Spirit would not allow him. said the Spirit suffered him not. And we, we could begin to ask all kinds of questions. Why couldn't he preach there? I mean, didn't they need the gospel too? And they did. But you see, God had a specific city. God had a specific place. God had people he wanted to hear the gospel. And God is directing the life of Paul. And then they see this vision in verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he'd seen the vision, they endeavored, we immediately, or immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, surely gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, loosing from tribes, we came, and he says where they went. They get to Philippi, verse 12, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. We were in the city abiding certain days. On the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. He didn't even have a synagogue to preach in, which was his normal modus operandi. And, and he says that uh, they sat down and spake to the women that resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended unto the things which were spoken to Paul. She was baptized, her household, she besought us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house, abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. She came, she followed Paul, she cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. This they, th and this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out the same hour. You know the story. Bad things happen. People get mad. They get thrown in jail. Midnight... Uh, God uh, sends an earthquake, they're released, the prisoner gets saved, hallelujah, praise the Lord, verse 40, it says this, they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Now again, it's hard to gauge the exact amount of time this was, some people say it was somewhere around three months, 
So from the time Paul begins to work in the city until the time Paul's been thrown into jail and he's leaving somewhere in the neighborhood of three months. It's not a lot of time. But it's enough time for God to work. It's enough time for a church to get started. It's enough time for there to be believers. One of the things I find interesting, and I don't know what it means other than it's just interesting to me, Paul would go start churches and leave them without pastors. I'm not planning on doing that. But I find that interesting. One of the things that I look at as I see the Apostle Paul and I think is, you know what? It's different for every missionary. It's different for every field. It's different. There's some people that they go, Adoniram Judson went in seven years before he saw his first convert. And then there's other people that go and they see people saved right away. And rather than looking at one and throwing stones because, hey, somebody didn't get saved, we're looking at the other and thinking, you know, well, you must be doing it wrong. It's different. It's different for every missionary. It's different in every place. You know, Paul, in the different places he went, it was different. Some places he went to the synagogue. This place he went to the riverside. But God saved people. And I know I need to be done. I've got about two minutes. Um, it's different in every place. Our job is just simply to be faithful. Instead of getting introspective and thinking, well, maybe God's just not doing it here, or, or maybe there's something wrong with the way I'm doing things. No, am I being faithful to what God's called me to do every day? If I'm being faithful to what God's called me to do, I can rejoice and know, and know that there's going to be reward someday. There's going to be, there's going to be a, good, a well done, good and faithful servant. Um, one of the things that we need to also, as we think about this, realize is, you know what, when we, when we are seeing the Lord work, there's going to be opposition. Uh, in, in these verses, we find that it was a demon-possessed girl. It was, it was somebody that, that, in a sense, was a bad name for them. And yet, as a result, she gets saved, and, and you know the persecution they face. Look, when we see God work, we need to realize that there's always an enemy. And I'm going to hit a little bit on this tonight. Uh, Lord willing, if you come back. But there's always, there's always another, another person at work, the devil. One of the things that we've found in just a little bit of time, we haven't had a lot of time there, we want more, we want to get back, we want to be there right now, is we've seen God do some amazing things in the last two years. But we've also seen some things that we wouldn't have liked to see. We had a family that moved from Bogota to come and help us, a national family. They were a tremendous blessing. They were actually the ones that gave us all of our contacts in Ipialis, in the city of San Juan where we rented a building and we began to hold Bible clubs that, there. Uh, I can remember standing in the, in the front of the storefront with them and praying with them as a family, praying that God would bless that place and God would see a church raised up in that storefront, which he has done. There was uh, 53 from that town there just three weeks ago for the service. People have been saved. Lives have been changed. It's been wonderful. But you know what? I stood with them in the storefront and prayed, God, would you please bless this and see a church raised up here? And within two weeks, I found out that she was leaving her husband. They had, divorce, they had marital issues, and she ran away with a trucker. You know what? That, that, pretty, that almost destroyed what God was doing in that town. It didn't. But you know what? It, it destroyed the work that God was doing in her family. Her family hasn't been back to church. They don't want to do anything. They don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with our church. They don't want anything to do with what we have to share about the gospel. You know, God was at work at that town. But so is the wicked one. 
and he's opposing the work. He's trying to draw people away. He's trying to confuse people. He's trying to see the work stopped. That was a very difficult thing for that church and an unfortunate thing for their family. Whenever God's at work, there's also the wicked one at work. But then as we look down at verse 40, they went out of the prison, entered into the house of Lydia. When they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. You know what? Even, even when God's at work, you know, or I should say, even when the wicked one's at work, the results that God gives last for eternity. The results that are genuine results, and I've got to say it that way because we can see all kinds of people make professions and they not be real. We can see God do things and think that it's the Lord and, and really only time is going to tell whether it's really the Lord or not. But you know what? The results that God gives last for eternity. This, Lydia, this lady, Lydia, was used by God in a mighty way. This church was used by God to become a supporter for the apostle Paul. He went to Thessalonica and they sent to his necessity. And that's, we have the book of Philippians. Paul sends back and thanks them. This church was mightily used by God. And although Paul was only there three months, this was God's work. And I just want to end on this by saying this. Because it's God's work, we're just privileged to be a part. Think about it with me. This church continued on even though Paul left. This church became mightily used by God even though Paul left. And Paul might have left thinking, well, that was a failure. I got thrown in jail. I had to leave. I was only there three months. But no, it, it was God's work. And can I just say this? God didn't need the apostle Paul to stay there in order for that church to grow. God didn't need the Apostle Paul to stay there in order for that church to be mightily used by him. And that's one of the things that God's shown us is with the visa issue and then now with us having to be out. God doesn't need Matt and Amanda Smith in Columbia. If, we, if we're there, it's only by his grace and it's only for his glory. Praise the Lord, we can be a part. But you know what? One of the things that was humbling to us is after we, we had to leave, God is doing some amazing things with the believers that are there. Carlos from, the, from Pastor Saron's church has jumped in and has helped us. He's taken the church. He's begun to preach. He's, and he was already studying for the ministry, just graduated from an online Bible institute. God has now forced Carlos to have to do things that Carlos didn't want to do before. And, you know, as a result, the work is stronger. And I went back and I said to Carlos, I said, man, I said, I'm a little bit jealous, you know. I, I leave and it's better when I come back than when I left, you know. And so I constantly rib him and I say, look, Carlos, you're the pastor. And he said, no, 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 no. No, you're the pastor. God's using you, Carlos. Pray for Carlos. Pray that God would work in him and Glenda's heart. Use him in a mighty way. Uh, today they'll be preaching for us there in San Juan. Pray for Carlos. God doesn't need us. God took the apostle Paul out of the equation, but the work continued. And there's going to come a day God's going to take every one of you and me out of, out of the equation, one way or the other. You know what? God's work is going to continue. So that should teach us it is a privilege to be a part. So let's be a part as long as God allows us to. Thank you, Pastor. Time is yours. Mm -hmm.